Welcome to episode five of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. My name is Steve. Tonight's panel we have Peter Germesheis. Hello. And Paul Sainsbury. Hello. Cool. So tonight we are going to be discussing something a little more on the non-tech side of being a dev, and that is working in the same team for a long period of time. The reason I find this particular topic uh, interesting is that there are a lot of developers that I've spoken to and that I've known over my career that have never spent more than a year or two in the same job. So tonight's panel, I personally, I spent nearly six years at Chase Software. Paul, you've been at Chase for how long now? Nine and a half years. Jeez, like it. And then, Peter, you were at your previous employer for how long? Four years. Awesome. So, with we've all been through the situation of having of having served on the same team, or at least within within the same domain for an extended period of time. So, I think tonight we're just going to have a quick chat about what it's like, what the challenges are, what the what the what the positives are but before we get too deep into that paul would you just like to give us a very quick introduction to who you are what you do at chase and what your different roles at chase have been over the last nine and a half years wow that's quite a lot of history to cover so i started there uh, as a developer just trying to move them over to some new technologies um slowly moved more and more towards .NET stuff and web-based things and slowly kind of built a team up that were working on the, the product and then eventually that grew bigger and I started looking after two teams and then kind of the dev department uh, became the director of the development stuff which was no real change from looking after the dev teams and then eventually six months ago, maybe four months ago, moved over to operations director. So now I'm no longer programming computers, but trying to program people. And that has to be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said in a bio recently, I'm looking forward to the day that the robot overlords rise up and like relieve me from my misery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Peter, can you just give us a, a quick overview of what your role was uh, in those four years that you were at the previous employer? Awesome. Um, so initially I started off as a dev and it later switched on to be more of a, almost like a technical lead. But um, it wasn't like an explicit role. It was more like a, just make sure that everybody is like staying abreast with, the, with tech and um, see whether or not you can influence them to actually learn your tech um, and just randomizing code. Yep. Cool. So in my five and a bit years at Chase, um, I started off as uh, a fail boy. So I, I I joined Chase thinking that I knew how to program and realizing very quickly <laughs> that I wasn't quite the hotness I thought I was. Um, and I was a dev for, well, only a dev for two and a half years or so, close on three years. Um, and then I was a team lead there for my last two years, so it was uh, it was very interesting. Uh, I got to I got to 
bug Paul a lot. And uh, so in, in, the, in our chat here, sorry, the reason I'm laughing on the side is Paul made mention to my most famous mistake is that in my first few days, I deleted my own code and blamed it on source control because I was that intelligent. So having worked, having worked in the same place for a long time, before I worked at Chase for so long, my first job I was there for three months. My next job was four months. I think the job after that was almost a year. The job after that was just over a year. And then suddenly Chase was nearly nearly six years. And I attributed that not only... So, so looking at why I stayed for, for six years was that the team... And, and not only the dev side, but, the, you know, the company as a whole was very family-like. And I know a lot of companies like to say, oh, but we're like a family here. There are very few companies that actually push through with that and really are like a family. So getting to work with the same group of devs and the same group of people for a long time was incredibly important to my career because not only did I learn a new business domain but once I'd kind of pushed through learning the domain I could then actually focus on growing as a developer so I didn't have that added uh, burden of needing to learn the domain and figuring out what's going on and why clients do the things they do that part didn't take too long after that I could focus on the languages we were using the framework we were using and I could just grow which to me was a was a massive bonus. The slight downside to doing that at the same time was that we used the same languages and the same framework across that time. So while I got to grow a lot as a developer, branching out is stuff that you have to do. And obviously this isn't you know the same for all companies. Some companies play around with different technologies. But for me personally, you know, when I wanted to explore something new, that was something that had to be done almost after hours. But when I did discover something new and, you know, I could come back to the team and I could I could demo that. And if it was something that we could use, I know there was something I can't remember. Oh, Jasmine, the Jasmine. Uh, so we we needed a JavaScript testing framework and Jared Hermer presented a talk at JSNSA on QUnit. And around that time, I started looking at Jasmine. And we ended up implementing Jasmine, which was, which was pretty cool. Peter, what do you think the, the positives are of staying in the same team for a while? So um, I won't just mention the positives, but I'll mention the negatives as well. So I also stayed at a company for quite a long time, and it was actually the first company that I stayed um, stayed at for, for for actually longer than a year and nine months or so. And the reason for that is pretty much the same that you mentioned: is that a lot of companies claim that that when you join, it pretty much feels like a family. Um, but this company actually, like they hired the right people. They hired people with that fitted into their um, culture, and it just so happens to be that the cultures, the the culture was of such a nature that I also felt at home there, and that's the reason why I stayed for so long. Like, sure, you can hire the most technically bright people, but I don't 
I mean, that doesn't make a team, right? Um, you're supposed to be able to sweat blood and tears for your teammates, and that's that's actually what makes a team, well, in my opinion. So I think what's what is quite nice about it is the fact that um, you know people are willing to share care. There's no there's no egos running around, and that's that's where you actually learn. The the downsides to it is is if you're stuck in a company that aren't continuously innovating, then unfortunately we all have social lives and at home we don't get the time to play with new tech and stuff like that. And the new tech isn't always so much of a, a, a good thing to explore within your company, but the company has to provide some kind of, or make provision for some kind of like play time or experimental time. And unfortunately, if you get stuck in a company that don't have that kind of mentality, then it's kind of a downside because unfortunately our industry is moving so fast that if you don't like a JavaScript framework, just wait a couple of hours and that problem will get solved, right? (laughs) So, yeah, uh, I don't really have anything more to say about about that. I don't want to stretch out our story. (laughs) And Paul, even though over the last few years you've you've been changing roles. So even though you've been within the same team, you've had different challenges, you know, every few years. So I'm, I'm very curious, why stay in the same company for nearly 10 years? That's a long time. Um, I don't know. So I, perhaps my career path, Gets like before Chase tells a bit more about why I stayed there for that long. So I started off at Internet Solutions, kind of started doing quite well there. I was there for nine months. Uh, I started in in January 2000, so just as everything was about to go crash. And very quickly saw they were growing rapidly, and I was becoming kind of a, a, a number in the machine, and I really didn't like that. So I moved over to another company, where I got to go and try new technologies and learn things. But at some point, I was I had a lot of responsibility, but very little authority. So I had to do a lot, but didn't have a lot to do, or a lot that I could do, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that got me to the point where I was having migraines every weekend, and was like it was it was terrible for me. So eventually moved somewhere where I could try and gain a little bit more depth of experience as well and was there for three years until I got to the point where I didn't feel like I was contributing. So it's that the things that have made me move on have been the feeling of becoming a number, of not being able to actually change things or not being able to contribute. And one of the bonuses of where I started was as the company was starting to grow. So... I I was incredibly fortunate because I could then grow with them and I could have new challenges. I could, you know, I I wasn't just a number and I was always able to kind of contribute. So it's always been quite fulfilling as much as it is stressful. And like I say, I wait for those robot overlords, but give me six months and I'll be like, sweet, what do I need to do next? You know, what's (laughs) what's my next challenge? Yeah, that that definitely Um, does make a lot of sense. It, it, It explains... So, so when you work with somebody for a really long time, you you begin to to just 
know them not, not not only on a personal level but on a professional level and it's it's always interesting when you see people change roles and how they how they take that responsibility on and how they take that change on for you it's always seemed from from you know from my side it, it never seemed to be a difficult thing for you you switched roles and you're like yeah okay cool so i'm doing this now and you know fly down and everything always works out really well but it, it makes sense now because you've now not quite been given a new purpose but a different purpose which has probably given you that that drive to carry on pushing yeah i i wouldn't necessarily say everything works out well either um <laughs> always some some epic <laughs> fails along the way but it has meant that i've had to kind of reinvent my my purpose yeah every now and again and not not only the purpose but your skill set as well so the skill set mm. your skill set has grown as you face different challenges and done different things so what is it like watching you know people come into the company growing and moving on it's actually quite rewarding at times and i think that's one of the I don't know, maybe it's it's my experience, but I don't see that at a lot of companies where they where you want to see somebody grow. Early on in my life, somebody had said to me, you know, as the mark of a good leader is somebody who can uh, grow people so that, or grow himself out of a job effectively. So that's what I'm looking, like I always try to do that. So when I see, like when Stephen moved on, for me, that was exciting. It's not about uh, a sad thing. That is something that you know I I experienced. So I mean, again, it's not just it's not just talk coming from from from, from Paul's side. When I I mean, I think I spoke to you, Paul, in June last year, and said, "Look, you know, I think my time is coming to an end, and I'm gonna." start looking around and here's you know here's my reasoning and there was no trying to talk me out of it and there at the same time there also wasn't well if you don't want to be part of us in six months time then you're not allowed to be part of us now there was constant support from from chase's side in my like my pursuit for growth if i can put it in the most painful terms i can think of so when I headed out for an interview, I didn't have to worry about, you know, taking a sneaky sick day or something. It was like, hey, Paul, I need leave for this morning, for this afternoon, for this day, whatever. This is the company I'm going to. I'm going to go check them out and it's going to be, you know, I'll, I'll be back and we can chat about it then. And having that, you know, that to me is where that family vibe shone through. And I mean, it wasn't only from from Paul's side. The the MD at the time, I mean, I don't know, is Jamie still MD or is he now CEO? What, what's Jamie's role now? Whatever the title is, he's big still boss, leading big boss. things. Yeah. So, so essentially, the, the, the big boss at Chase, the same thing. It was just support all the way. So in my time at Chase, I got, also got to see a number of people arrive. We trained them up. Some people, the moment they got trained up, immediately moved on. And whether that was for a new challenge or for more money or for reasons that they didn't feel like sharing, it was always sad to see them go. But at the same time, like Paul said, it was it was nice to see the person who came in that didn't know much about X now knew a fair amount about it 
and then moved on. So Peter, from, from your side, I know that you also did a fair amount of mentoring and helping people learn and stuff. Uh, what, what was it like for you? Oh, okay. So uh, for me, uh, leaving the company was actually a decision that I had to make. It took me. It took me. Sorry, it took me a very, very long time to actually make the decision to move on, um, because I really enjoyed uh, working there. The people are awesome. Uh, I, I made awesome friendships there. Um, but uh, you know, like the the place that I worked had like great staff retention, so we didn't see that many people come and go. Um, uh, the the dev team has remained pretty much the same since I started there. Um, and so when I joined, the newest guy was like was at the company for like three years already. Um, so it was it was quite interesting. But uh, no, I, I do believe that like as if you're young, like in your career and stuff like that, like if you yeah. Then, then it's good to move on and try new things and make mistakes, um, such as uh, like Paul mentioned. Um, so, yeah. The best mistake I ever made was joining a company that everybody warned me against. And I was absolutely miserable because the, the people in charge had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And when I eventually moved on and I joined Chase, I could appreciate what I'd found. So I feel that a lot of people, we, we had one or two guys at Chase that had actually joined us straight out of university. And if it's not straight out of university, it was close enough. And Chase is the only real you know company that they've worked for. So every now and then, I think that people that come into a mature team that have been working together for a long time, and I mean, the, the dev turnover at Chase is also exceptionally low. I, I Sometimes I feel that those newer guys don't quite know what they've got. So my next question is, how many long-running dev teams do we know of? So Chase we know of, Peter, I, I don't know. So, so we, we never really mentioned your previous employer. Are, are, are we going to carry on referring to them as the previous employer? Uh, we can. Uh, uh, they are actually known by a couple of names. They're the Borg. Um. <laughs> Take your Star Trek crap out of here. Yeah, we only believe in the force on this podcast. Come on. What's wrong with Star Trek? Oh crap! I forgot we got two old guys on this podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is funny. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, we can we can name and shame them. Um, I don't really mind. Um, it's it's all up in my LinkedIn profile anyway. Yeah. So no, that's true. So so lo- long running team wise, I mean, I know of the team at Chase. Obviously, the the team at SA Home Loan seems to have been together for a long time. The the team I'm working on now is a division of a bank, and I'm purely not going to mention them because I don't know 
how comfortable they would be with certain things that I say. Because every now and then, you know, I say silly things and I can be offensive and whatever. So I'll drag them into it if they say to me, hey, why don't you mention us? But they've been working together as a team for seven years, eight years from what I understand. And although they're working on a single product that does a lot of stuff, you know, they, they've at least been together for a, a long time. Then from what I understand, the, there's a team at IS Labs that have been running together for a while. And that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I can't think of any other dev team that has been, you know, the same core group of people for the last, you know, five or more years. So... Music, the previous company I was at, they, their team that I joined had been going around for quite a while. The guys that were heading it up uh, had been at the company for at least four years when I joined. I was there for three years, and they were still there when I left. Um, they had quite a they had quite a good good vibe between the people, which made it actually quite a nice a nice place to work at. But it, it it does it does change a lot of things. So when you have this really nice environment, and when when I say nice environments, I'm not talking about bean bags, foosball tables, and good coffee. What I'm talking about are, are the is the team around you. So the vibe between the team members. Yes, we might argue over stuff every now and then, or we might disagree about things or whatever. But when you're around a group of people that you know that you can trust and you know have got your back. It doesn't matter what else you're going through. It, it makes it very hard to to leave a supportive team like that. That vibe is something that is hard to find in my experience. Like I think about things. When we had some trouble trying to do some things a while ago, we chatted to Peter to say, hey, can you? we get you in to do some work for this? And we've used people like, um, well, used is such a bad word. Um, <laughs> Used and abused. Used me. Did you resource yeah, them, but, Paul? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of my pet peeves when you start talking about people as resources. You know, you've become a project manager or manager of some form. But I mean, we've always tried to be relatively active in community things. Uh, so it's where I think I got to know Stephen through Dave community groups and spent some time with him and and Jamil. Uh, sorting out some, hey, how do we go and do some coding or challenge each other to do things slightly better? So from that area, suddenly we get connected and we ended up working together in various environments. So I think like part of that good team stuff ends up being ends up being the people you surround yourselves with. Yeah, I can definitely go with that. Not only in the team, but outside of the team. Definitely, definitely. The, the the last points I want to get to is probably more the benefits of being on a team for a long time is that not only do you get to know each other and get settled with the domain and with the product, but bringing new people in, maintaining a culture. So team team culture and company culture is something that is so difficult to mold. So there's no real other way of putting it because you can't you can't set what your culture is. Your culture is defined by the people that are around. 
and it always comes to for me it always comes back down to the there was a, an experiment that was run probably a very long time ago where there were monkeys there that there, there was a ladder and if one of the monkeys started climbing that ladder all of them got blasted by water and eventually it got to the point where they would slowly but surely take you know some of the old monkeys out and put newer monkeys in and eventually there'd be an entire group of monkeys that had never once been sprayed by water but they knew that they weren't allowed to climb that ladder so although it's a little bit of an extreme example having culture within a team to me is a really really important thing and you can't just say to all them you know let <laughs> carrying on with with it with a monkey metaphor if we had to take put you know a whole bunch of fruits at the top of a ladder and chuck a whole ton of monkeys in there and go right you're not allowed to climb it of course they're going to climb it they're going to push the boundaries they're going to see what can and can't be done so coming back to you know a team full of humans having having a long-running team it's so much easier to bring new people on because it's not just one person or two people that are helping this new person. It's the whole team that is involved in not only the onboarding process, but as things move along. So whether that's dev-related or culture-related or, or something like that, it seems to make it a lot easier when you've got this established group. And it's almost almost like a set of, of work parents, if we can put it that way. So I, I often joke, uh, joke around with Paul that you know that he was really old, and but at the same time, coming in as as a junior when I came in, I knew that Paul had a hell of a lot of experience, and when he said you know that you know this is how we do things, and I questioned why, I wasn't shut down and just said you do it because I tell you to. There was an explanation behind it. So I got to learn from his experiences. And now with the same team that I've joined now, they have all been working on this for a long time. And I often question why they do the things that they do. And I can ask anybody on the team. There isn't one or, one or two people that I have to ask that I am mandated to ask. I can turn around and say to anybody in the team, this is what's happening. This is what I've seen. Why is that happening? And they can help immediately, which helps a hell of a lot. Peter? Yeah, I kind of do agree. But um, at the, in the same breath, what you can say is like, um, once you get, um, like when I joined SR Homelands, um, the, uh, this whole monkey, monkey um, metaphor that you used, it is always good as a new person to always challenge the status quo as well because um, that the established principles or the established architecture might have flaws in it and because nobody has challenged it, they might not know that there's a problem. Um, so, yeah, um, it's good to rattle some feathers now and then. Um, it's always good to know your boundaries as well. So, yeah. Cool. So, an interesting question and maybe maybe we'll have this as, as the as the last question before we start rounding up how do you keep long long to like long running teams how, how do you help them to keep growing and i wish i could take credit for this question but it's a it's a question from paul in, in the in the channel here 
I don't know how you help long-running teams keep growing. I, I, I think that is actually just down to the team, really. So if the team as a whole doesn't want to learn anymore and doesn't want to grow anymore, that to me points to a deeper systemic problem. And how you address something like that would be a very interesting challenge. So there was a book I read recently that was recommended to me by 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 the team at, at Driven Alliance, which was by, I'm going to murder this now, I think it was Patrick Lencioni. Let me just confirm. Uh, it was Patrick Lencioni on the five dysfunctions of a team. And although he's talking about team dysfunctions and how to identify these dysfunctions, it was very interesting to see that if the team is dysfunctional in one of you know the five different core ways it kind of cascades so if the team doesn't if the team doesn't trust each other they're not going to have that ability to have creative conflict if they don't have conflict you know they they're not going to be able to move towards innovation they're not going to be able to set achievable goals they're going to keep everything so that the focus is about them as a person and not as the team. And the one thing that I've... So the, the, the book is really interesting in that it's not written like a standard book. So it's written in a parable fashion. So the first three quarters of the book is essentially the story that basically lays out the principles. But throughout that, I could draw parallels to the things that I've seen happen in my career at different teams. So if you want to have a long-running team grow, you can't force them to grow. And the only thing you can help them do is to almost have a, a, a strong base and foundation. And to me, that comes down to culture and setting examples. So to give an example, Paul and I worked together for a long time. And for the first part of my career, Paul would say, this is what we do. And I would say, yes, Paul, that is what we do. Because I, you know, I respected Paul's decision a little bit too much. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to argue with him because Paul knows everything. And then I got to that wow, point. How much more wrong could you be? <laughs> So it all comes down to a talk that I watched by Roy Oshrove years ago. And that was one of the things that, that he mentioned. It's like, yes, they might be right, but it's good to question anyway. It's good to have a reality check on things. And it got to a point where the, the, one, the one thing that sticks out is there was something that needed to be done in the system. And there was a quick way of doing it. And the quick way of doing it was to add a trigger on a database table. And I immediately said to Paul, no, we're not going to do that. And I think Paul was a little bit like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> how, can, how, how dare you speak to me like this? But he wasn't defensive and upset about it. He stopped, saw where I was coming from and accepted it. And because there was that trust relationship between the two of us, we could have that little bit of conflict. So what happened was, and whether I don't know if Paul's aware of it or not, a few days later, 
I asked somebody else to do something similar. And the first thing they did was say no to me, even though at the time I was the tech lead. So there was that example of trust and conflict that had been displayed. And they'd then taken that to heart and they disagreed with me. We had a little bit of a debate about it. And it turned out that the person involved, and I can't remember who it was now, I think it was Daphne, that she was right. So we went with her way. So the the only thing I can see about getting, about helping long-running teams is by keeping the culture right, by keeping the systems, you know, the, the, the systems within the team correct, that they can grow themselves. And that's a really long-winded answer. <laughs> so I, I like that. I, I like a lot at the end. <laughs> the, that that concept of conflict is interesting to me because, like, I know, and now I have to not name people's names. I, I've had one manager where I used to, I'd come up with an idea, and they would fight me over it. And I, I used to feel like it was a constant struggle with them, which actually caused a bit of a problem because eventually I was like, well, it's not worth my time doing it. The difficulty was I had a lot that I could have learned from that person. So I ended up doing myself a disservice because I, 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 didn't, I didn't do that. So you've got to have, that, you've got to have the, the option of, healthy conflict of sometimes uh, perhaps swearing at someone and not taking offense at it or at just being able to, to, to stop and put yourself in their shoes. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to have somebody coming up with that great idea that totally changes the way you do something. So but, how about you, Peter? I totally agree. I like the idea of um, conflict within teams because it gives the people the opportunity to stand up for themselves. It's also uh, challenging, as, like I mentioned before, the status quo. And um, I, yeah, I, I do think it's important. Um, if you work in a relatively large team with established, uh, with a well-established core group of people, then the new people, if you do get new team members, are they kind of going to sit back and chill and just, you know, hide away in the shadows. But if you display that, um, those little moments of uh, courageousness um, and stand up to the, to the core team members, then, then you're actually bringing up a, like, or you're exposing in, like an open culture where everybody's ideas accepted. Um, well, not accepted, but more so just listened to. And I think that's really important. And again, it all comes down to culture. Yep. So if you've got a culture of a boss or a manager or a lead that yells at you and says, no, you will do it my way and doesn't listen, a new person comes in, especially, it's even worse if it's a junior developer coming in. So we say new person, but I mean, a new person could be a developer with 25 years experience. But if you've got a junior that comes in, that they, they get that idea of, this is the boss. The boss has said X and I must listen to the boss 
or else he's going to shout at me. And if he shouts at me, I'm going to feel belittled. I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel down. I don't want to feel like that. So I'm going to stay in my very protective little bubble and I'm going to do what is what I'm told to do, not asked. I'm going to do what I'm told to do because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm scared of that person. You don't have that trust relationship. And I mean, the, the only time I can really think of with Paul was, you know, was regarding the trigger. And it was, although it was lighthearted, at the same time, I was quite firm with the fact that I wasn't going to do it because that was not the right way to do it. I've, I've had the opposite experience as well with someone where I was like, okay, I've thought through all the options. We have an hour to fix a problem that's ridiculously critical. Here's what I need you to do. 30 minutes later, they're still sitting and questioning the underlying assumptions, uh, but not talking about it. So eventually, I'm like, well, have you done this yet? I'm like, no, 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 but I still need to think about this. It's like, no, you don't. I, I know that these, that how this is going to work. This is what it's going to do. This is the consequence of what we're doing. Another 15 minutes later, still not moving anywhere. And eventually, it's like, stop it. You actually just need to do this now. And sometimes it's that, that like, I basically have to be a dictator, um, at that point. And sometimes you need to have that. So there's a, that awareness as well of when do I, when do I question and when do I just need to follow? And by all means afterwards, let's talk about it. But sometimes somebody does have to, have to play that dictator role. As long as you're open to them coming back, once everything is fixed and questioning that, and then talking through what was done, and checking, you know, checking if they maybe had a point and then going and refixing the fix in, in a different way, that's fine. I, I, I don't see any problems with that. Uh, Peter? Sorry, what did you want me to say? I'm confused. How do you react when you are dictated to? I I actually don't mind. So in that in that case, um, so let's say somebody says do it. I'll I'll happily go along because at the end of the day, um, if I don't feel strongly um, about uh, about the uh, the particular like let's say somebody says you will do this this way or else, then I'll say okay that's fine if I don't feel strongly about it. But if I do and there is a valid argument for actually not doing it that way then I would try and persuade them. If I can't, then, you know, if it's not such a bad decision, it's like weighing up the pros and cons, right, of every, situ- of every uh, decision that you take. So if it's, if it's not that big of an impact, then I'll say, you know, there's no point in arguing about this because you're going to waste more time arguing about this particular thing than to actually just do it. And in that case, I'll just go, hap- uh, go along and do it. But if I know this, the, this will impact the system greatly or like impact the team um, in a bad way then I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fight it Um, but other than that uh, you know yeah I'll just so the most important battles the the most important thing I want to pick out of that is that you said if it's something that's going to impact the team greatly yep which to me is something that's very important that if you're placing the team first whether that team be the dev team or that team be the company, that's fine. So if something is broken and it needs to be fixed right now so that us as a company can move forward and we can get some something up and working again for a client, 
That's fine. Let's do it. And then let's come back and discuss possibly a technical debt scenario or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So just going to jump into picks quickly. I've only really got one pick for this week. And since it's a long weekend, it's not going to be tech related. I am picking the new episode of the Game of Thrones game by Ta- Telltale Games. The game so far, the first two episodes have been awesome. Episode three has been even better, and there's still three episodes to come. So, Peter, any specific picks, picks from your side? Yeah, I want to pick Vagrant. Um, if you if you're struggling to bring up development environment um, and you want to make good use of um, like VMs and stuff like that, then uh, check out Vagrant. Uh, and my second pick is related to this particular topic. Um, not so much teams and stuff like that, but uh, just choosing like um, like the right tech and stuff like that. So it's a post by Dan McKinley, um, and it's a, a post called Choose Boring Technology. You'll be able to find it quite easily if you Google, but we'll put, in, <coughs> put a link in the show notes. Cool. And sorry, I, I did forget one. Since I did mention it during during the during the the podcast was Patrick Lencioni's book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Thanks to traffic last week, I got to listen to the entire audio book three times. <laughs> so I really got to cover the contact pretty well. So I really do recommend that whether whether you're still a junior developer or really I think everybody should if not read it, at least listen to the audiobook once. It can point out so many things. And if especially if you've had a career of a few years now, it's really interesting because the the people set up in the parable that display the different dysfunctions, you can draw parallels to people that you know in real life. And it just makes the book so applicable. Paul, anything from your side? So... To my one geeky thing would be been enjoying Meteor a whole bunch. Uh, they've just released their <coughs> 1.1, which supports Windows for all of those uncool people. And in terms of non-geeky stuff, I really, if you want to watch a good show, you can try uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. It's really stupid and lots of fun. That is awesome. It would help if I could find the unmute button on my microphone. Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Paul, for, for joining us. Peter, thank you as always. Uh, Paul, anywhere online, if people want to follow you, that you would like to punt? You can follow me on Twitter at Rathlan. Cool. That's probably the easiest. Awesome. And Peter? If you didn't like anything I said, um, follow me on Twitter. My name is Paul Sainsbury. Um, oh. oh. You know I'm going to put your Twitter handle in the show notes anyway, right? <laughs> okay, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm <laughs> P. Hammersays on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. Cool. And then I'm going to try and do this, especially for Robert McLean and uh, Mark Pearl, who apparently say that I have a sexy podcasting voice. So let's see if we can conjure up some dodgy thing. You can find me at Stephen MacD underscore code. Right. So that was really awkward. But I'm going to leave it in there because I'm a jackass. 
pulled. <laughs> Oh wow! Uh. <laughs> All right, cool. We've broken Peter. Peter's gone. So on that note, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the ZA Dev Chat Podcast. That was really strange, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, that was... Oh, good. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Peter, are you alive, bruh? Trying to regain my composure. Dude, your composure's gone and I'm leaving your laugh in the podcast. I'm so not editing that out. <laughs>